Hi everyone, I'm Sanya Faruqi and you are watching the Sanya Faruqi Show. Joining us today for our special series, Press Freedom Under Fire, Women in Media Speak Out. We have with us Nupur Basu. She's an award-winning senior journalist and documentary filmmaker from India. She has reported and filmed from India, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Nepal, the United Kingdom and Uganda. Nupur began her career in the early 80s in the leading daily, the Indian Express, and later joined NDTV and was a senior editor with them. An independent documentary filmmaker, Nupur has directed Michael Jackson Comes to Maniganj, Lost Generations, No Country for Young Girls. In 2017, she was the executive producer for IAWRT produced documentary film, Velvet Revolution, which focused on increased attacks on women journalists who speak truth to power. Thank you so much, Nupur. It is truly wonderful to have you join us today. Great to be on your show, Sanya doing really well. Thank you so much, Nupur. Um, Nupur, I'm going to start with my first question. Reporters Without Borders has listed India under countries considered bad for journalism and is among the most dangerous places in the world for journalists. It currently ranks 142 out of 180 countries, and this leaves journalists, those who are doing real journalism, under constant threats and attacks. How dangerous is this gradual shrinking of what used to be a strong democratic footprint across the country? Extremely, extremely, extremely dangerous, Sanya. Um, and God awful, if I may use a word like that. Um, so you said that we are 142. It's been a, you know, we've been sliding down rapidly. Just, just 10 years back in 2011, we were, at 132. So just see the rapid decline of press freedom in India. It is absolutely, truly dreadful. And you can see uh, what is happening on the ground on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, you see, uh, last week you saw the theater of the absurd in, in uh, Tripura, where two young journalists, I mean, they're going for the really young people who just joined the profession and were doing their job, telling truth to uh, power. And, you know, they, uh, they are arrested. And then of course, thank God for the courts, they're released on bail. Um, you've seen that earlier with the kind of FIR that was filed against Supriya Sharma, who went to report out of, um, <clears throat> on coronavirus uh, from the, Prime Minister's constituency. And because she said that people are going hungry there, uh, this was uh, this, this led to huge offense. And therefore, the local administration filed an FIR against her. She was the editor of, uh, of the scroll. And um, you know, she stood by her story, her organization stood by the story, but it was denied by one of the protagonists who had been quoted. And she was booked under SCST Act. I mean, you know, the charges were under that in FIR. So some of this is very, very serious. And, you know, you, you could land in jail and be there for, uh, for years on end. And is that the intention of our government? Is this what they want to do to women journalists in India who are just doing their job, going to the field? We know how difficult it was to cover uh, the coronavirus, the pandemic in the first phase. And of course, the nightmarish situation in the second phase. In fact, because the government is attacking uh, uh, people like this, uh, journalists, women journalists, now you have 
many who are coming out and saying it's women journalists who are the real heroines of, uh, you know, of reportage in recent times. And, um, you know, and then, of course, you had the Pegasus uh, scam where another woman journalist, Rohini Singh, was one of those who had the spyware in her phone. And what had she done? She had looked into corruption in high places, alleged corruption in high places. I better say alleged here. I, I would always say alleged, but that was her story. And she was probing the home minister's son's wealth, the rise in his wealth, and also a senior minister and somebody who was close to the prime minister. So basically speaking truth to power, uh, substantive women journalists who are being harassed in this manner, see what is happening to, and, and then it reflects, it is going to reflect on what is happening. Uh, you know, it is going to reflect on the press freedom index. It has to. Yeah. I want to move to your film, Velvet Revolution, which, as I described earlier, focused on increased attacks on women journalists who speak truth to power. This film was screened in nearly 300 venues across the world, including India, USA, UK, Sri Lanka, Nepal, Canada, Turkey, Jordan. So tell us a little about this film and why did you choose this particular subject or topic for it? So Sanya, um, uh, post-television days, I was writing uh, quite a bit for the Media Watch website called the Hoot, uh, Hoot.org. And there we had begun to notice that the ecosystem where journalists are, uh, are sort of doing their job is getting more and more dangerous. And also, uh, I be we began to notice that it is also getting very dangerous for women journalists. And uh, th this was a sort of a shifting, uh, shifting scenario one felt, and one was just beginning to note that. Uh, so when IWRT, the International Association of Women in Radio and Television, came forward and wanted to make a long documentary on women and media, I um, sort of pitched for to be the executive producer for that. And when I uh, was selected for, to make the film, uh, I uh, just decided, I, I, my vision for, uh, for making the film, I took it down the path of women journalists speaking truth to power and how they're under attack globally. Now, as you know, this whole model of filmmaking we have in IWAT is, is extremely interesting, where we uh, look on our membership, our own members come forward because many of them are film directors, they come forward and they make the film from the country that they are in. So in this case, we had 18 pitches from our different, uh, from different um, members from different countries. And finally, we zeroed in on four countries, which was India, uh, Philippines, Cameroon, and uh, Bangladesh stroke USA. And uh, so we had directors coming in uh, from these four places and making the films in their region. So it's also a very uh, carbon footprint free uh, way of making films. And it's also a very, um, it's also a very, uh, I mean, you can make a film in, a, in an absolutely uh, really, really small budget as we did. And uh, so, so these, all these countries, the women directors were looking at how women journalists in these countries. So they chose protagonists 
who were journalists and we chose them from radio, digital media, print media, television media, so that we covered the spectrum of media. And everywhere we saw that women were under threat. So they told us that their testimonies were on how, on how difficult uh, the terrain is becoming. I also embellished it by doing interviews with Syri uh, a Syrian journalist, an Afghan journalist, uh, Lise Doucette from the BBC, uh, international correspondent, uh, who's you know, um, worked a lot in conflict regions, um, and the Panama Papers journalists, the, the women journalists in Panama Papers, and the, the, the sort of dangers and the, and the kind of uh, con you know, sort of attacks they were facing when they were doing their stories on Panama Papers. So it was a very, very interesting film. And then we traveled with it all over, as you have just pointed out, in various countries. And the appeal from the audiences, I mean, the response from audiences, we took it to students uh, in movie theaters where pe people showed academics, journalists, journalists particularly, and civil society and students responded so well to the film because they said, we really didn't realize that there were all these brave women who were doing this and they were facing these major attacks. So I said, yes, you look the other way. So then that was my challenge to the, to the audience in the post-film Q&A, saying you've looked the other way. Journalists have missed their own story, first of all, uh, on the increasing attacks on them. And I kept appealing to journalists saying, don't miss this story. This is going to become big and it's going to hit you very hard. Uh, and to civil society, I said, if you look the other way while journalists are killed, imprisoned, incarcerated, and harassed, then you are not going to be living in any semblance of a democracy in your country. And who is going to hit? It's going to hit you, your children, and the future generations. And they were like, we are very sorry that we have not said enough. And from now on, we would. So it was, it was great to see that the film generated that kind of advocacy on getting civil society to respond to journalists. Uh, I could go on and on. And, yeah. I, well, I hope people get a chance to watch and the screening continues in some way or the other, because definitely the impact was really strong. Uh, but... Uh, moving to a very different space, you know, the digital space, which is more or less dominating how news and information is being shared these days. But at the same time, online violence has become the new frontline for women journalists. And it is particularly dangerous for women as they experience higher levels of harassment, assault and abuse in their daily lives. And these threats are often extremely volatile physical threats as well whether they are death threats or rape threats. What are your comments on this? How do we move or how do we create a safer environment for women journalists in this digital world? I'll come to your second, uh, you know, the solution part later. But just to say that this, uh, on November 2nd, the International Day to End Impunity on Crimes Against Journalists, the Secretary General of UNESCO said, that in a recent report, in a recent paper, 73% of women journalists, you know, um, uh, surveys had, the survey had shown that 73% were being intimidated and harassed. And he particularly pointed to the attacks on the media and, put, and then in particular, he said that the attacks on women journalists have increased. Now there's a very, we've been noticing, and in fact, Velvet Revolution talks about it a lot, 
the double attack on on women journalists. So you, as you said, the digital media has um, you know has sort of exposed them uh, even more virulently to this. So while they are attacked online, there are also offline attacks. So and uh, I heard one of your panels. Uh, where you know women on the ground saying that it's very contiguous. It is there is not really an iron curtain between them, and we know that because it takes an online attack attacker uh, attackers trolls to very quickly uh, descend into people coming and throwing stones at your house, um, or I mean, to to make things really bad. I mean. Yeah. Uh, journalists even you know so um i mean if if the stakes are high and they want to get rid of you then they go to that extent so it is a double-edged sword and uh, the digital media it is i think increasingly being said that uh, is has really done injustice to women journalists women journal not only women journalists women activists uh, women lawyers women in general because and I'm not saying anything, any rocket science. I think we're discussing it ad nauseum, but we cannot discuss it. Uh, we should discuss it ad nauseum till it is actually rooted out and stamped out the misogyny that prevails there. So mm -hmm. we're not saying only women are attacked. Male, male journalists have always been attacked as well. But online, the, the attack on the, on the women have become daily on the women journalists have become very, so you so a male journalist will not get rape threats kidnap of children I mean you know um, I used to in my uh, you know sort of talk say that you know don't men have children how come they don't get threatened with kidnap not that I want them to yeah. but I'm saying why is the woman always the subject of character assassination of of misogyny of this kind and receiving and I'll share something with you that, okay, I've been in journalism for 40 years, 80, 1982 is when I joined, which is probably before any of you were born or <laughs> you were born, uh, definitely not. Uh, so the thing is, and we entered a newsroom then, okay, very male-dominated newsroom. Um, the point is that these, you know, like attacks on women journalists, I mean, that, that time we just couldn't... Uh, this kind of attack, one could not imagine. You know, I mean, we go through in 75, and we talk about the emergency and there were attacks on, on men and women journalists or whatever, but that was a different kind of, it was censorship, okay? Yeah, yeah. But what we're seeing now is this physical threat, online, offline, and this sort of misogyny. So, you know, I, I was about to confess saying that, uh, and I always sort of say this, that, uh, you know, even in talks and everything that, you know, I'm not on any social media. Yeah. Hunt for me, not get me there because uh, I sensed very early that this is going to be toxic. And honestly, you know, I'm just going to do my work in a quiet way, in whatever way I have had to do it on various medium. And I'm not going to be on this thing of how many followers I have. I know it's no longer possible when you work in the media because you have to constantly tweet your story and I mean, you have to be that popular. And I'm, I'm so glad that I do not, I'm not in that kind of active workspace anymore. Yeah. So I had the luxury of not being on it. As the Philippines journalist in Velvet Revolution says, you know, that I, uh, every morning I wake up and for breakfast, 
I eat threads. I do not eat my cereal. I eat threads as soon as I open my device. As soon as I open this device, I see this. So it's not me, the Philippine journalists, and all the other journalists were saying the same thing. Yeah. So it's it's virulent. It's horrible, and uh, the mental. Um, the trauma that uh, women journalists are going through because of this uh, and other women activists is, is just unbelievable. I mean, it's a different world that we are navigating, that these young kids are navigating. Yeah. And a lot of these online trolling attacks or even offline attacks on journalists are propelled by right-wing extremism. In India, we've regularly seen journalists being attacked. How or rather why is India failing to protect its women journalists from such attacks and abuse? What is going on in the country? Why are we seeing this? Just anybody who wants to say or do anything getting away with whatever that they are doing. Well, uh, there is a tendency of right wing, <clears throat> you know, right, <laughs> sort of ascendancy, if I use a very formal word, everywhere in the world, you're seeing that. I mean, you know, when you have the president, thankfully he's former now, of a country saying that journalists are the enemies of the people, you know, who said that, no, Mr. Trump. Uh, what, what sort of signal are you sending the people? What sort of signal are you sending your followers who are waiting for a sentence like this so that the next time they confront a journalist who's doing truth telling, they can, they can uh, bash their head against a wall. Um, or, or gun them down as they did to Gauri Lankesh in, in Bangalore, in this very IT city from where I'm coming to you. Uh, Gauri was a friend and a, and a colleague for several years. And uh, it, it was just unbelievable, unbelievable in India that we could, uh, <clears throat> a woman journalist coming home after having finished her edition uh, gets gunned down by, by motorcycle-wielding, gun-totting men. Uh, obviously, they're just people who have been put there to do a job. They're just hired assassins for uh, having a different ideological viewpoint. I mean, come on, you know, you argue out your things. What happened to debates? We all came from debating stream where we debated with each other. Any day, even today, come and debate. You know, but you don't gun people down. But then that 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 unfortunately is is what happened. And right wing trolls are, I mean, people say now they're scared to put anything on because you know, from comedians to to journalists to activists to young students, you say something, and next thing you have an FIR against you, and you know the the trolls go, you know, and told trolls who are many of them are bots. Yeah. Um, you know, or just, just go wild and attack you. I mean, it's a different world. I, I really, really, really pity those who have to navigate this world every day. And again, I say that I'm so glad that I'm not part of that world, but I suffer. I suffer when I hear the stories that people, you know, of what people are going through when, you know. Such attacks. It's heartbreaking, some of the stories and the effect on their mental health because of that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, women have had their bodies morphed, women journalists, and, uh, you know, their, their, their rates put up, their addresses and phone numbers given out. Can you imagine? I mean, beyond the point, it just becomes like it, it, you, you're afraid. You, anybody would be afraid, you know? If we, if we 
took away all the paraphernalia of the people who are in power. Uh, and they felt, well, why are they surrounded by people who protect them? Because they are afraid, right? Now, I said once in an interview that, uh, are we as journalists to carry a gun around to protect ourselves? No, we can't do that, you know? I, I, I have to have a... Uh, I have to have a notebook in my a notebook in my bag, a pen in my bag, nowadays a phone in my bag. And so when one was in television, you had your camera in your bag, not a gun for heaven's sake. So, you know, who's going to protect us? Yeah. And on that note, I'm going to ask you my last question because we are running out of time. But... Um, there are these very dangerous, repressive sedition laws also that are being used to squelch freedom of expression and silence critiques in the country. And in a country like India, which has always been a melting pot of ideas and discourse and dissent, what are your comments on this decline of freedom of the press and the democratic space? So I think that's really what we've been talking about. But yeah, since you specifically mentioned about sedition law, an outdated 1800s law, which is, you know, the, the people who, the colonial powers that brought it to India and used it against Mahatma Gandhi and others, freedom fighters, they have thrown it out of their, uh, their uh, uh, whatever rule book, you know, and law book. And we are hanging on to it. Why are we hanging on to it? Regardless of which government is in power, you know, and they are hanging on to it because it's like an albatross. You know, it's like to have this albatross hanging around people's necks that, okay, you get too smart for your boots and we will bring the sedition law. And in recent days, we've seen it used appallingly, appallingly against uh, journalists, male journalists even, you know, during the farmer's agitation, somebody tweets something and, you know, um, Rajdeep uh, ha has, has a sedition case against him. And I think he's still got it against him. Um, it's still hanging. So they keep these things hanging on people. They will not withdraw the law, despite the, even the court saying that, come on, you know, let's do something about it. Uh, it, it is really outdated. And to add to sedition, you also have the draconian laws like the UAPA. So, you know, Sanya, the pitch is so muddied. It is so muddied. It's like every, every weapon that they can have, you know, to bring you down, to keep you from telling the truth, to, to reporting on what democratic press should be doing. Why are we going to the field in these dangerous conditions, whether it is the corona whether it is during a war or whether we are chasing, um, you know, uh, whatever may be the situation that we are covering. Why do we do that? Put our lives and our families worried back home. Why do we do it? Because we've chosen to be journalists. You know, one thing about Velvet Revolution, I come back to it. Every one of the journalists who were interviewed, the women journalists, we asked them. We had one question to them. I told all the filmmakers to ask one question at the end to all of them, that uh, would they have exchanged this profession for any other? And each one of them said, no, never. I want to be born a journalist even in my next life. And <clears throat> you know what, what the Afghan women journalists have been going through in the last, since 15th of August. 
Why 15th August, even well before that? But post that, you know, they cannot work, they cannot go out. Many of them have had to flee the country. They never wanted to flee. They wanted to be in their country and work. So this is happening in our neighborhood. The kind of, you know, I mean, it's unbelievable what is happening. We've been in the middle of evacuating women journalists from, from Afghanistan, taking them to, uh, you know, sort of working with media rights groups to ensure that they can leave the country because their lives are under threat. Yeah. There are of Taliban coming to their door and looking for them and, and, and trying to hunt them down. So, yeah. you know, look at the danger that people face and look at the, look at the way the red line that was there for women journalists. I come back to women journalists because your program is on that. The red line that was there for all societies, for all countries, when it came to women journalists, they were respected. They were, uh, you know, somewhere they would, even those who wanted to attack you would say, okay, you know, stop here. Maybe you can just shout at them or whatever, but not kill them, not gun them down with a bullet, not imprison them. You know, so the number of women that are in prison now, apparently, according to Reporters Without Borders, some 35%, there's been a 35% in the rise of women who are in, women journalists who've been bunged into prison yeah. and who are going to, you know, spend New Year's this year, you know, waiting it out in prison. What to talk of activists and others who are there in various jails. Yeah. So yeah, very sad scene, very sad day for the media. But there are the, the positive thing is that women journalists and male journalists are pushing back. There are good, good substantive journalists who are who have a conscience and who are not compromising, who are not afraid, and who are doing their truth telling even now. All right. And on that note, Nupur, thank you so much. It was absolute honor and a pleasure speaking to you. And thank you for taking your time out. And, uh, you know, it was really good to have you on the Sanya Paruki show today. Thank you, Sanya. Wonderful to be with you. Thank you. And for those of you who've joined us, thank you so much for watching. I hope you will subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Spotify. I'm going to see you soon. So stay tuned.